what we found was 41% of research, and this I think was over a thousand people we, we looked at, were willing to skip a pay rise to get their most desired benefit. So again, the, you know, the flexible working, the additional leave, the generous pension. So yeah, there, there are ways I think for employers to look at this and which lens they look at this through. And then you've got the, I guess, the added piece of what you do have from the next generation coming through is DNI sustainability. Yeah, and so you do get with there are there are more questions and there are more pieces we can do with our EVP. But clearly, candidates have to move the time. Employees have to move the time. Hello, everyone, and welcome along to another episode of Talking Recruitment, the REC podcast. My name is Neil Carberry, the REC Chief Executive. I'm delighted to have you along for another exploration of what we think we're seeing from uh, candidates, clients, in, uh, and uh, and demand in our market for recruitment and staffing in the UK more broadly. Got fantastic guest uh, in this episode to talk that through with. But first, uh, just a couple of notes from uh, REC Towers. Uh, the most recent REC data is a report on jobs that was came out on the 11th of October. Real sense there of a continuing trend, perm hiring still dropping, dropping for a year now, but actually dropping at a much slower rate, perhaps beginning to reflect the uh, the more optimistic client that we're seeing in our client surveys at the moment. Of course, that could be pushed a little bit off beam by some of the macro political concerns that we've seen over the last couple of weeks, particularly around the impact of uh, uh, Israel-Palestine tensions. But broadly, uh, that per market uh, still slowing, but slowing more slowly, um, whereas the temporary market still relatively robust and the sectoral split we've seen throughout this year really consistent in terms of healthcare, engineering, logistics, light industrial, uh, hospitality, all pretty strong. Other sectors much weaker across the uh, across the economy. Now, one of the most important things at times like this is that we uh, get together and uh, and we talk through what we need to do as an industry, what the REC needs to be uh, doing for you. So I want to draw your attention to a few regional and sector meetings coming up. If you're in health, on the 31st of October in London is our health and care meeting. Uh, regional meetings, uh, loads going on at the moment. Uh, last week I was in Belfast for a fantastic discussion there with members in Northern Ireland. But upcoming, we've got a, a, a the Southwest uh, Forum also on the 31st of October. We've got a West Midlands Roundtable in Birmingham. I'll be doing that one on the 14th of November. Uh, a Southampton Forum on the 16th of November. And a an, uh, particularly uh, cracking event upcoming, our Equality, Diversity and Inclusion Summit. That's on the 28th of November, by which time hopefully I will rec have recovered from the REC Awards, uh, which are on the 23rd and are a sellout. That's always a fantastic night. So plenty of opportunities to come and talk to each other and talk to the REC team about what's going on. Members reflecting that uh, there's plenty of opportunity out there, even if the market is a little bit harder uh, than it was uh, la uh, last year and, and making use of uh, the opportunity to discuss issues like technology and how that's affecting our industry on the back of the REC's recent uh, technology report, Tech Enabled Humanity. Now let's turn to our discussion for today. I'm delighted to welcome to the podcast Raj Lal, who's the Commercial Director at Total Jobs. Raj, uh, welcome to the REC podcast. 
Thank you very much, Neil. Uh, delighted to be here. Uh, great to hear you mention the REC Awards. Uh, obviously, as you, as you well know, we're, we're partnering with, with you on, the, on some of the awards. And uh, I remember going last year and it was a great night and I'm not surprised to hear it's already a sellout. Yeah, the team have actually had to get the uh, set square out to try and work out how we can get more people into the room. Um, and it does look as though we're going to have to move next year because it's a bigger and better night than ever, which I'm always really pleased to do. I think people really enjoying connecting with each other more now. And certainly one of the big themes of the REC's work at the moment is doing more in person around the country, as, you know, as people have heard in the, in the intro just now, because, you know, ultimately recruitment's a people business, isn't it? I actually think, on, on genuine believe you, you see now the uplift when people are face to face and, and, and yeah. clearly almost there's a novelty to it that, that clearly people enjoy. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure you'll capture again. So we were going to talk a little bit about some of the work uh, that Total Jobs have been doing around uh, your hiring trends index and, and what you think are the big stories that are starting to emerge from the, the flow that you see through uh, through total jobs. So um, why don't we start by, why don't you introduce your hiring trends index to us and, and give us a sense of some of the big headlines you think you're seeing? Yeah, I, mean, I guess the, the easiest place to start is, and I know you and I have discussed this previously, it's probably on every um, employment or, or recruitment type study in terms of, I guess, what the pandemic reshaped, um, what, what the starting point was a few years ago. Um, and I guess it, it sort of really threw into sharp relief um, the recruitment crisis um, because the underlying issue had, I guess, been with us for years, uh, you know, a smaller labour force, baby boomers retiring, inefficiencies in our skill system, um, business investment on, on sort of suboptimal, let's call it. Um, so it was always going to be challenging. And, and you know, I, again, I, I'm sure everyone who's listening knows, you know, some of the, the behaviours, the patterns we saw. Um, people who are near retirement age, probably retiring earlier, younger people, which I do want to touch on later as well in terms of going into education on, on, on sort of, I guess, bigger numbers. And and clearly the government is in a, in a situation where they're actually trying to raise participation. And, um, you know, it's the first time I've almost seen, you know, for the last two or three years, recruitment and the labour market almost at the forefront and Unfortunately, we're in, a, you know, in, certainly in, in a wartime as well right now uh, across Europe. But when you know, the, in terms of the business news, you know, labour and recruitment and shortages have been, you know, headlines for the for, for the first time I've known. To be honest, so we had the, you know, over a million unfulfilled jobs. Now we're probably seeing a bit less. We're obviously in a cost of living crisis, and and the Bank of England's citing a tight labour market um, as a key of inflation and interest rates. Uh, so it's you know it's been really sort of insightful for us to we've always had our, our hiring index which gives us a, a a sentiment a temperature of what recruiting managers are doing of what hiring managers are doing what confidence fe uh, feels like what sectors we look at and, and you know of having seen your um, research as well they're they're really well aligned because I guess like yourselves we're we're in a unique position where we see all the candidate market behaviors in terms of applications from from which sectors from which industries from which locations and then we have you know just in the UK so 8,000 clients recruiting at one time but across our whole Stepstone group we have you know we could have a 160,000 um, recruiters and you know millions of jobs across our, our various uh, platforms so it's really you know it gives us the the macro trends as well um, 
but what we have seen is is clearly there are difficulties within the labor market that i don't think that's going to be big news to anyone but business confidence does remain healthy it was interesting what you were saying there about permanent placements and and we 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 certainly are far more penetrated within the permanent market than we are the temp mm-hmm. um but the majority and that's 59 percent of employees still feel confident about recruiting the people they need i guess what we see more than anything is a, a bit of a, a supply and demand issue because the vacancies we see and the vacancies we carry and you do find a lot of them you know it's whether we have the candidate pool there to to actually fulfill those as well and so you know, you, you can look at it through, you know, as, as skills and, uh, like I say, a, a demand and supply basis as well. Um, you mentioned hospitality. We have a we have a um, a job platform for hospitality uh, called Catra.com. And um, we, we see there that actually that there are fundamental challenges within that industry. Yeah. And actually, it's a case of, you know, there's a perception. Do, do people now still see hospitality as a, a career? Um, there's also the case where hospitality pretty much closed down uh, during the pandemic and people left and probably won't return. Um, so, yeah, we, we we do see confidence, but we do see areas highlighted more than others. Care, again, I, I, you may have mentioned, is mm-hmm. one that, you know, is it's, it's a tough, tough market because you've got to find the people who want to do the jobs. And, you know, some of these jobs get classed as uh, low skill. Uh, and actually, you know, when I think of um, the people I know who 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 benefit from care from from our our system, I, you know, I, I think it's anything but low skill. But that's you know, the, I'm talking probably fundamental challenges for our our government for our country. So I'm I'm not sure I can you or I can can solve these right now. But quite simply, for the first time in 30 years, our, our labour market has stopped growing. Um, yeah. You know, and there's you know we've seen a decline in the number of non-uk born workers um we've seen a sustained fall in the number of young people in the labor force so 3.7 million a decade ago to to 3.1 million ish now and and again there's demographics in there so there just aren't as many young people as there were and there are also higher participation rates in education and and again then you you bring in as a broadly flat birth rate um and <laughs> no free movement means you know we need to be far better at helping people get into work stay in work longer uh be productive in work so uh yeah i guess that's a, a pretty long uh, answer to a um a very nuanced question i guess but that uh, that is the challenge with the labor market and yeah. you know funnily enough you you mentioned the bank talking about it and the banks were obviously referenced some rec surveys and I did say that, yes, because they're not, they're not kind of massively trusting of where the labour force survey is at the moment. Which, mm. yeah, I'm not sure that ONS data gathering has quite recovered from the pandemic yet. But the the story broadly, and you see it reported back from REC members around the country, is uh, perhaps clients and candidates who haven't quite come to terms with the fact that we live in a very different labour market now. So yes, there are the candidate availability now is greater than it was last year or the year before because we're through the kind of post-pandemic boom. But this is the looser end of what is overall a tighter picture because of all of the factors that you've talked about. And even at this loose end, we've got a, a challenge with high numbers of people who are economically inactive and a lot plenty of candidates supply in some of the sectors that have had a tougher time over the last year 
but plenty of sectors still scrabbling for resource. Um, so there's all sorts of issues around skills, about transitions, about all of that that are critical to the growth of our economy. I was really struck by the way that one of uh, the big business organisations is advertising its annual conference around, you know, how do we get the people we want where we need them to be? And the, that's a huge opportunity for recruiters because this is about information and guidance as much as it is about the existence of the candidate pool. Um, and, you know, Greg Savage would always say, you know, the, the highest paid people in the world are... Uh, sports people and film stars, they all have agents, uh, not because they need agents to find them opportunities, but because they need to decide which opportunities are the right ones for them. So th this world is challenging because the inf of the information asymmetry. Some, some clients think that because we've had a year or two of lowish growth, that they're operating in a kind of classic client's market when they go out to hire right now, which in many sectors, in fact, in most sectors, they're really not. Um, they need educating on that. But equally, I think candidates need some education about the, the fact that, by and large, the days of full-time remote and lots of jobs are gone. There's a kind of negotiation that needs to happen here. And, and as part of that, I was actually going to ask you particularly about the work you've done with the Hiring Trends Index and what it suggests for early careers trends, because... Yeah, I, I, I think the challenge that many firms have is you know, increasingly you're going to be drawing people into the labour force who are from, a, as you've said, from a smaller generation than um, the ones that went before and who perhaps haven't spent a lot of time in the in the pre-COVID labour market, or if they have, you know, millennials are what twenty-seven to forty-two. Yeah, yeah. So they've been in the 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 labour market before COVID, but they they were already had kind of decided before COVID they didn't like it. So what are you seeing from that kind of ca candidate group at the younger end about what they want from work? That's you know, first of all, really agree with all your points, especially like the economic inactivity piece. Uh, clearly, I think in the, in the last budget, the government tried to address how they get more of these, I guess, over 50s who, who retired a bit early back into the economic, um, well, back into the labour market. And, and I'm still to see the results of, you know, and it's probably too early, to, but to understand what impact that's had. But the, the early talents are really, really, um, it's really, I guess, interesting and, and clearly very important because, when again we we look at candidate behaviour, um, and I think I think Gen Z make up about already about twenty five percent of the working population, and and I think Forbes suggested that by twenty thirty they'll be they'll be up to seventy seventy five percent. So there, I absolutely agree. There's this huge I don't want to call it a disconnect, but there's this huge education piece that still needs to happen, because one of the things we said and we and we did you know an early talent survey. Um, and so when you talk about sort of 16 to 18 year olds, first, first thing that came through was that a lot of them are giving up on aspirations of higher education. And a lot of that is actually just the rising cost of living because it's, you know, you, you know, if, if you've been to higher education and, and I did, you know, you, the, the cost of going through university, you know, it's, it, it, it's pretty high watering. Um, and actually the cost of living isn't just the 16 to 18 year olds, um, sort of making that decision as you can imagine is the parents too going uh, no uh, not for you because you know we just we just can't put you through that 
Um, so what we found was that 16, with regards to 16 to 18 year olds in full-time education, half, so well, almost half, 48% planned on going to full or part-time work when they finished school or college rather than higher education. And specifically due to the rising cost of living, 34% of parents also said they'd written off the idea of university for their child uh, because of associated costs. But the, the, the thing is, a large majority of 16 to 18-year-olds, again, sort of about 70% from comprehensive schools, believe that employees are going to look more favourably on candidates with a university degree. So again, there, there's this disconnect. And quite interesting, and I've, I've heard you talk about apprenticeships before, and I only really started looking at the understanding of, of how apprenticeships work in sort of the last six months. And if someone had told me um, that I could go to university, that it would be paid for, that I'd get sort of the social capital of, of, of working as well, that I would have, you know, very likely a good job at the end of it. I, you know, I'd probably snap your hand off. But I think there's this whole um, perception, again, you know, with apprenticeships and what they mean and how they work. And um, I'm, I'm probably of a certain age. I don't want to speak to yourself, Neil, that, you know, you remember sort of the YTS and, and the, you know, I guess what yeah, how yeah. that was, that was, you know, what the perception of that was and how that worked and, and there's, a, I guess, this value of a degree and, and what it means. But also when we looked at it, what we found was a lot of career advisors were, I don't want to say, you know, given the safe option, but the university degree was was the option they they mostly gave because that's the one that, that's, you know, always happened for a long time. So, And it is um, the safe option because yeah. we mess around with vocational routes every few years and we never yeah. let them stabilise. Um, I mean, you know, one of the big things that, I think collectively as a business community we have to do is persuade the government to redesign the apprenticeship levy, redesign uh, pathways into work for, for young people and then actually just leave it alone for a decade or two and see what happens because the 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 the, the reason everyone talks about the German apprenticeship system but of mm. course the reason the German apprenticeship system is so successful is that the German government has next to nothing to do with it. <laughs> It's a pretty pretty good point to be fair. Yes, and 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 what we found was only seventeen percent of school leavers are considering apprenticeships. And like I say, if if it's explained to them, and actually the people you have to explain it to are not just the the students or the school leavers, but the career advisors, uh, the families, the parents. I, I think it has to be an education piece all the way down. But again, you're probably right. If that was left to the 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 private sector rather than public, it, it as or or the government, then it'd probably be an easier task. So there's a whole whole thing there about kind of uh, pathways for young people. Mm. But I think what we think we're seeing is people, I mean, obviously with cost of living, people of all generations are thinking about reward. But there seems also to be something about you know the type of company I want to work for, whether it's with... Um, uh younger generations wanting to see yeah. that their company has a real kind of commitment to addressing net zero through to kind of the kinds of things that would lead an employee to want to relocate or uh work and live in a different place or a different way what are you seeing in the kind of, I know you do the quality of living yeah, index. Yeah. What are you seeing in that and in the signals from candidates that probably it's good for recruiters to be aware of because these are sort of emerging new decision making 
um, paradigms for candidates that maybe in the past we were very focused on, you know, what's the commute like and is the pay right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and look, if I step away, I guess, from early talent and just look at, I guess, what we see candidate behaviour wise, again, quite, quite a lot of research on this. And it's easy, you know, I guess there's, I've spoken to a few, I guess, HR and recruitment people who who look at the new generation of people coming through and think, oh, actually, you know, their their financial drivers or their key drivers or their deal breakers may have changed. But actually, again, in our research, you know, financial compensation is the number one lever in terms of you know what is driving someone towards a potential job. And inflation and we, will do that for you. <laughs> it definitely doesn't help it. So, uh, and, and we, we've also seen what's happened with uh, pay growth again for the you know first time it's overtaken inflation recently. So we are seeing this. We and we are still seeing this with with the um, the younger generations. I, I dare say. And but there are key drivers. There are flexible working hours. There are financial bonuses. There are there is holiday leave. There is pension. There is medical insurance. So so yes, I, I do understand that you know not every company can increase what they pay as a a basic or a salary, and and, and everyone understands that. But again, there are key drivers that that are probably maybe easier to manoeuvre. But then you you know the deal breakers are number one was financial compensation. Number two is work life balance, job security. Then you've got sort of the newer newer kids on the block, which is the flexible location and the amount of um, paid time for for uh, or, or holiday leave and so look these haven't really changed in a, in, a, in a long time uh, in terms of you know the labor market so we know what drives people we understand that people are more willing to leave um for a higher salary and um, there is obviously a a a concern at times about you know starting a new job and the job security that comes with that but again what we found was so 41% of, of our um, research, and this I think was over a thousand people we, we looked at, were willing to skip a pay rise to get their most desired benefit. So again, the, you know, the flexible working, the additional leave, the general generous pension. Um, so yeah, there, there are ways I think for our, for employers to, to look at this and which lens they look at this through. And then you've got the, I guess, the added piece of what you do have from the next generation coming through is DNI uh, sustainability, um, yeah, and so you do get. With, there are there are more questions, um, and there are more pieces we can do with our EVP. Uh, but but clearly, you know, candidates have to move the time. Employees have to move the time. And and while we're on the subject, the one thing I, I love to add into this conversation, um, because you know you, you are, I guess, a such a partnership to the recruitment industry. The one thing that candidates always come back to us on as a negative piece of feedback is lack of feedback. So, you know, we we have, you know, X million applications at any one time. And it's the ones who have, you know, put their put their applications together or even done a covering letter or at least submitted their CV. Um, and the ones that don't hear back, that that for, that for me is something that, you know, if we as an industry could still address that, that would be a big piece. And again, and then the last piece on this is salary transparency. And um, I don't know if that's something that, you know, you, you have discussed before. I, I'm sure you have. But again, that's that's a piece that that clearly motivates <laughs> uh, and, and actually gets some of the emotions going as well in terms of what candidates and employers um, do in terms of that conversation. And salary transparency is closely linked to the whole ADI piece as well. It absolutely um, is. You know, just listen to that. I think there are a few bits there that are really important to pull out for recruiters. One is that feedback point is actually linked to your professionalism. 
which mm. is you know what what candidate journey are you giving a candidate even if that candidate isn't someone that you're going to take forward now uh, that feels like it's an important point because you know it's a professional service and we need to be, treat people in the right way and then more broadly that piece around edi great uh a uh, great uh, link uh, to allow me to push the REC EDI summit on the 20th of November again. Thanks for that. Fantastic. Ralph. No, fantastic. Um, um, but the, um, the, there's a big piece there about, you know, how your recruitment business is, how you behave, how you advise your clients, the, the image your clients uh, give off and how authentic that is to how it is to work at the business. You know, we tend to talk in terms of, we love a three-letter acronym in recruitment. You know that MSP, we do, we do. RPO, EVP. <laughs> if you look, if you look at EVP, um, I think the problem with that in its sort of pre-pandemic guise is that it's quite transactional. It's the employee value proposition. It's you know what, yeah. what it, it's almost a bit salesy. Whereas, I mean, you know, my background's in industrial relations, yeah. so you know, I take the view that. Um, this is actually about how you change how you are as an employer and then how you effectively and authentically communicate that to the communities that you want to uh, to open up to and in particular looking at different potential pools of candidates all of that it's not a quick fix and it's not a marketing fix and and I think for employers for recruiters clients that's an area where they're going to need a lot of help so you know we think about where's the margin for the future for uh recruitment it is in those advisory things that that are about kind of helping people access the access the right approaches that means when someone sees an advert for a company they're seeing things which feel authentic and they have an experience which feels authentic even as you say if they're turned down at uh, um at the shortlisting stage you know what neil the, the absolute key word there is the author, authenticity because that's the word i always go back to and i'm so glad you said it because it it, it is a case of you know uh, you know evp is important and you know you, uh, diverse equity and inclusion is 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 going to be a huge huge piece in, in giving people an opportunity to get the best candidates because they and and, and the, i guess the other flip of that question is when you meet a you, you know you may be a consultancy acting on behalf of a, an employer who doesn't have a very diverse workforce but actually you know whether that's gender or something else but actually be authentic about it be honest about it and say this is where we're at but actually this is where we want to get to and i think that that goes a long way which is where authenticity comes in and the other piece sorry i was going to mention uh, to your question about i guess location is we did our first total jobs quality of living index and so again we ranked cities and we and we and we did research in terms of whether you know the community commutability the average salary the average house price um the number of jobs that are available there um the infrastructure the transport and and I, knowing knowing that you're a hearts fan uh, neil um i you'll be interested to know that edinburgh came out top in terms of rates of local happiness and access to affordable housing so again when you know and and there were so many different cities whether there were leeds manchester edinburgh birmingham and obviously london that that came out top in different categories and again my i guess advice to recruiters would be to understand you know what the proposition you are selling not just the job but but the but the life and, and the lifestyle and understand you know what might um 
what what might ring the right bell for that candidate in terms of you know getting the right job i mean again um you know high living costs in london um and then you know a fifth of workers so 21 percent said rising costs are making them more likely to consider moving to a more fed affordable area in the future so um you know relocation is again high for potential uh, leveling up it, it, well that that would be nice if, if that happened um uh, it, it may take a new government but yes um that would be nice yeah really interesting i mean local happiness uh in edinburgh it is not a surprise because he speaks as a patriot for his hometown there we go although although i'm i'm a, a slightly affordable housing that depends where you look uh, it, i'm in sure, I'm sure. but that yeah. but that sense of there being multiple facets on which people are judging how they take forward their careers and also actually multiple facets on which employers should be judging where they base themselves and where they put investment yeah. in um, I think is is really important and using labour market data effectively to do that at the local level um, really matters. You know, I always remember having a discussion with uh, the senior HR team at Channel 4 probably a decade ago now. And they said, you know, what we realised was that we had good diversity at our base in London uh, in terms of visible diversity. Uh, but one of our senior staff said, yeah, but we all read The Guardian <laughs> and 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 we all live in London. And they went out then and they went out to places like Bradford and Blackburn, yeah. but also to places like St. Ives, where no one was thinking, or Newquay, where no one was thinking about a career in the creatives. Yeah. And and started to think about that. And of course, you've seen that in the broadcasters more broadly moving out into these regional city bases, um, as the BBC has done and Channel 4 is doing. Yeah. Um, I, I think being able to persuade clients that there is flexibility and 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 there are pools of talent out there, especially in a post-COVID environment, if they're willing to think a bit more flexibly, seems to me to be a really big, important skill for a recruiter at this moment. I mean, how many recruiters do we know in the RC membership who have said to me or to colleagues, you know, you, you get the job spec in and you think, I think you've hired on this job spec about four times since it was drafted in about 1987. <laughs> and that there's a little bit of kind of uh, of needing to add value there and and, and helping kind of navigate, use the data that you're de delivering, we're delivering to help navigate clients and really add that value. And it's the data really that will only ever sort of change the the, the patterns or the behaviours, to be honest, because, exactly. you know, we're, we're, I guess, as I said earlier, we're in a fortunate position where we can we can collect the data, where we can see the, the large trends. And, you know, they do sometimes stick out as a th sore thumb and, and that's the only thing that's going to change. And actually... What, I, what I've really learned to grow and, and appreciate, I guess over probably 10 years, is that the, the recruiters absolutely play a crucial role in contributing to the growth of our economy and, and the future of the labour market. And in terms of, you know, people's um, willingness to, to take certain jobs, to go in certain industries, to go in certain places. And, and you know, we always see the labour market is probably one of the earliest indicators of, of the overall economy. We probably saw that, you know, pandemic. We saw, mm -hmm. we've seen that this year in terms of um, a slight loosening of the market. But, you know, as you said, I completely agree. It's still pretty tight. Um, and there are lots of jobs that you're actually, we actually need some sort of government involvement into to actually make, you know, a real breakthrough tomorrow in, in terms of how they, you know, how they direct. How, you mentioned the apprenticeship levy. Um, there's got to be more business collaboration, 
for me, and this is this isn't a total jobs piece, but for me, there needs to be changes probably to our immigration policy. And yes. and you also mentioned, um, you know, how regional business struggles with you know London business as well. So yeah. So a lot, I mean, there's lots to do, and of course, all of it comes under the heading of industrial strategy. And an industrial mm. strategy is really a people strategy for a country like the UK, because we're not going to get rich by digging uh, coal at the ground or pumping oil. Not anymore. Not anymore. Right, yeah. anymore. No. Um, uh, 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 so yeah, it's all about productivity and, and growth. Now, we've had a really interesting chat there, yeah. Raj, about kind of where we are. And, and, and thank you for your acknowledgement of the role of recruiters in that. But, you know, I, I'm really interested in getting to the end of this podcast without my members wanting to remove my head from my shoulders. <laughs> I, I so think I, I know where you're going to go. So, so I'm going to ask you a question yeah. about the relationship between jobs boards and obviously Stepstone Group and Total Jobs specifically yeah. with the industry, because you forced through quite a big change in your pricing model a couple of years ago now. It, yeah, it was last year, actually. Yeah, it was last year. Yeah, 2022, yes. Yeah, so... It, and obviously that had a big effect on the industry. Yeah. Um, and, you know, some individual recruiters made their own decisions about whether to stay, to yeah. cut, to, uh, to increase investment with you. Where do you think the business is now in terms of its relationship with recruiters? And, yeah. um, you know, if we're talking to a, a kind of a group of recruitment businesses, some of whom might have walked away, some of whom might have stayed and changed their, their platform, where do you think total jobs are now in terms of servicing the industry as opposed to direct hire clients yeah so look it's, it's a very fair question Neil uh, we, we spoke a couple of times about it during the process and and you know I'm sure your members would be happy to know you, you gave me a pretty hard time on it so but you were very fair as well and I guess the point I made to you that that you did completely take on board was that we we decided on what the value of our, our candidates were worth we understood what um, you know what all our costs were and actually what the candidates meant for the recruiters the i guess the biggest surprise for me at the time which i think well it is getting better but it still isn't great is not just recruiters and so it's not just about consultancies and agencies but how many organizations didn't actually understand their own roi in terms of either where applications came from or actually you know what those applications you know where they ended up i guess um so we 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 do see that so obviously initially there was a lot of pushback there was um you know a lot of negativity um and yeah look we absolutely had conversations where there were probably quite high emotions at the time as well but we always said please just judge us on the value and actually and i knew i think you said to your members at the time as well well you've got to you've got to look at the value and see is is it the right value for you so i get there are certain roles that that are easier to fill and and you probably may not want to pay a rate with with total jobs for that for that role but actually you can fill it elsewhere but there are other roles that you do need you know um someone that's actually delivering high quality and high volume as well so i absolutely get that we we did have a issue with lots of clients who who weren't happy with it and we are we did then and we are still constantly making sure that we we just have um data based conversations about what we can do what we can provide what the value is and then hopefully that aligns with the value that you see in the candidates too and if i'm honest neil the the the, the thousands of consultancies that stayed with us are you know of course not every single one will always be over the moon with everything but actually we don't you know we don't see an issue with the clients who stayed with us so 
what we are obviously constantly doing is reaching out to the market to to again try and demonstrate the journey we've been on and i also appreciate that you know clients felt you know probably the the timeline more than anything that we we put this together was you know was hard to stomach um and especially i get you know this the smaller consultancies and where you know there there are there are cash flow there are maybe one or one i don't want to say a one-man band but there are sole owners there are people who are operating on smaller desks and it's actually money coming out of their own pocket so we're always trying to to find the right partnership to find the right solution but absolutely recruiters are a core part of our business and what has happened which is you know which i'd never seen before in the last two years recruiters get the same application volume per job as our enterprise clients as our you know SME direct clients so we do see huge value in them but they see huge value too and and i guess that's that's where we that's where we landed on it if that makes sense yeah so i think i appreciate your acknowledgement of the 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 pace of the change yeah yeah um and particularly for smaller members and yeah we had some tough discussions uh as this was rolling through mm. um that piece around and you see the growth of kind of the equivalent of jobs boards advertising agencies in the in the last year and a half mm. helping firms pick you know when do you want to go to total jobs and use total jobs for a job and when do you want to use another thing uh, 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 another route I think that acknowledgement from your side that you kind of your you you've gone from kind of broad uh, uh, lines of attack on kind of just run your jobs through us to areas where you feel you can add a real ROI yep. when something comes on that that feels like a that feels like a more stable discussion for yeah clients potential clients to have if people want to find out a bit more about where total jobs are up to now how can they get in touch raj um so absolutely you, you can come direct to me if you if you look for me on linkedin yeah uh, i think my, my name and details are on here um but clearly actually there's there's also a contact us on our, our website um if you go on there it's pretty easy to find so so please do and um you know i guess what what we're saying is we understand the the, the place that recruits have in the market and, and we also know we can absolutely help support that um, because, look, last year I, I know was a great year for recruiters. I also know this year is is, is a lot harder. Um, so we, you know, we change our strategy, we change our marketing, we change our traffic to try and support what what our industry needs as well. And look, we want to be a part of this industry. We always have been. But I also appreciate there's some bridges we are we are going to keep building with with our recruitment uh, community. Thanks, Raj. That was a really great chat. I look forward to seeing you on the awards night on the 23rd um, and uh, really appreciate the, the the openness of that last discussion about where you are on pricing and relationships with the industry as well. No problem, Neil. Always a pleasure to speak to you. Well, thank you, Raj. And thank you to all of you for joining us on this edition of Talking Recruitment, the REC podcast. If you've enjoyed this, you'd like a little more podcast action before you're done. Uh, episode 20, the last episode, was with Russell King of Pixit Group on the MSP offer, opportunity for, uh, for temporary recruitment agencies about accessing new pools of candidates. That was with Gareth Parry at Maximus on some of the work that they and the REC have been doing together to bring people in out of that big pool of economically inactive people that is a big source of potential workforce for the, for the UK. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Do dig into those other episodes if you'd like a little more. And I'll look forward to talking to you again on another episode of Talking Recruitment, the REC podcast. 
Thank you for listening today. I hope you took away some valuable thoughts from this discussion. If you'd like to hear more, head to rec.uk.com forward slash talking recruitment or follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify. Simply search Talking Recruitment to find us.